Here comes Schofield. Oh! Oh! Nastiness. Wait a second. Driving left, dunking right over Love. All right. Who can do it? Well, I, I do like lanes. That's what she said. He's got everything going early on. Schofield the theft. And look at the Good morning, afternoon, evening, brunch time, lunch time, almost SEC basketball time in Tennessee time, still not quite offensive coordinator in Tennessee time. I'm having to stay by myself at the house this week, so I might die time. Whatever time of day it is, it's the right time for the Go Vols 24-7 podcast. Wes Rucker, joined by... Not Grant Ramey this week. Joined by Mike Wilson from the Knoxville News Sentinel, a partner of us at Go Vols 24-7. How you doing today, Not Grant? Good. It's always a good day when you are not Grant Ramey, so I'm feeling really good about my situation. Now, for those who are unawares, Grant has been out of town for a lot of the week. He's been there in San Antonio covering the U.S. Army All-America Bowl. Some Tennessee commitments, Tennessee targets for football that are there. And he has been there while Ryan Callahan has been handling some of the stuff for the uh, the other game, the one that is not sponsored by 24-7 Sports. So it's the the other game, the the uh, the Under Armour game down there in Florida. So <clears throat> bottom line is, is I clear my throat for the 800th time, is that Mike Wilson from the New Sentinel is joining us to pinch hit this week. Uh, Mike, for those who don't know you, I know a lot of people who are listening to this podcast probably do know you because if they're listening – to a Tennessee basketball podcast. They probably know who the beat writer for the new Sentinel is. But just for those who don't know, tell us a little bit about yourself. Oh, gosh. Um, I love Mexican food, specifically tacos. Perfect. I'm from New Zealand, which means I'm a foreigner. Yes. Um, Thank you all for welcoming welcoming me in your land. Um, Grew up in Michigan. I've been in Tennessee about a year and a half, and I like it. And that's about all I've got on the top of my head right now, I'd say. So from New Zealand to Michigan to South Carolina to Tennessee. With a stop in Japan in between, too. When, when did that happen? Actually, I, I don't even know if I remember that part. Elementary school, fourth grade, fifth grade, sixth grade. How much Japanese do you know? Not much. I can still cuss because what else do you learn when you're in elementary school That's that you true. want to remember? That's true. If I had gone to elementary school and middle school in a foreign land, I would have probably remembered the cuss words. Oh, you have to. It's the most important part of the language. I agree with that. For the reason Mike is here again is because he is, uh, well, you know, Grant couldn't be here. And if I couldn't have one person I didn't like with me, I thought I'd, I thought I'd add someone else that I didn't really like. Just kidding. Mike has kind of grown to be family since he's been here. Mike, what's your your career doing this? What's, what led you to to cover Tennessee because I know this wasn't your first SEC stop so what's what's been that that sports writing career yeah you know I covered Michigan State for a stretch uh, about three years uh some of it spent with 24-7 sports actually uh good time there um covered South Carolina for about a year for SEC country uh now defunct um did you have anything to do with that no not that I know of anyway I was gone uh about a year before it, it folded um but yeah, just some some shifts there kind of led me to look for some other options, and fortunately enough, landed at the new Sentinel. Uh, shout out Joe Rexroad of the Tennessean for 
giving me a little push forward here, and uh, Phil Kaplan for taking our, a shot. One of the good guys in our business, Joe Rex. Without right? question. Um, but yeah, very, very much enjoy covering this beat. Uh, there's a, an average number of good people on it. So yeah, I can't complain about that. That's true. An average number. I mean, compared to like what you would see at your average prison yard. Yeah, I mean, it's, More it's pretty r- much riffraff, but other than that, you know, you deal with what you deal with. And I got to think, when, when you got here, Mike, this is your second year on the beat, right? Yeah. So when you got here, you had seen, I guess you'd seen Rick Barnes' teams played a couple times. You'd seen, <clears throat> when you covered South Carolina, you probably saw them play Tennessee a couple times. But you walked in and you saw a team that was picked 13th in the SEC, just like anybody else did, who would have walked in there and because I know going into last season I told people I don't think there's any way this is the 13th best team in the SEC mm-hmm. but that's because I'd watched it up close and watched them build the thing for a couple of years uh, you walked into it probably thinking well this is going to be a bad basketball team uh you know I didn't know what to make of it honestly but I actually remember the the first open practice on media day last season I, I texted Rex Road that night and I said this team's going to the NCAA tournament um, they just had that appearance um, early on. I mean, you saw a, a team that returned a lot of players, and I don't know. I felt good about the team they had. I, I don't think I would have said they'll win the conference, uh, but I did like what I saw. Or, yeah, I liked what I saw that day in practice, I think. Um, and, yeah, I, I was a bit surprised at that point to, to know that they had been picked 13th. And, um, yeah, they, they, they had the look of a good team, and it turned out they were. What's it been like with you getting used to sort of the um – I guess for lack of a better phrase, the basketball culture here. Because I think when people when people think of Tennessee, people across the country, when they think of Tennessee athletics, they're going to think of probably the football team or they're going to think of the women's basketball team. Uh, but then you get here, and I think it, it, it surprises people when they learn sort of the men's basketball culture here and what the uh, – what the what the average turnout for the fan base is like, what the support is locally, um, I I gotta think that had to be a little bit surprising because people who from the outside move into the area probably get surprised by it a little bit. Yeah, you know I'd seen certainly a passionate basketball fan base in, in those years covering Michigan State and, and kind of knew that's what that was like there. Um, South Carolina was a little bit different. I, I did cover their very good year, um, so I saw that fan base take off. But yeah, that's yeah, true. With, yeah, good. I, I bring good luck, apparently. Um, but you, you saw, um, to me, you know, it's a football fan base. Obviously, that, that's the, the big program here. Um, Lady Vols, well-known. But I didn't know really what to expect, I guess, from the basketball fan base. And, and it's hard to know what you're going to have support-wise for a program when you haven't really won. Um, I mean, in the Tennessee basketball history is not long and decorated. I mean, just look at the season alone. They've spent more weeks this year ranked in the top three of the AP poll than any other season in school history. Yeah, they're weird because I think they've, they've won the second most games maybe all time in SEC play. But, but there's it, not a lot of banners to but, show for but that. But that, that's, that's the thing. They've always kind of come up short in the postseason mm-hmm. when it's mattered. I mean, they've had uh, a couple teams. I mean, they had a team was the number two seed. They've had teams that were, you know, the Ernie and Bernie years. You know, they, they've had some, some really good – some DeVoe teams are really good. They've had some really good teams here and there. And, and they've, they've sort of, except for the Wade Houston years, not sort of been terrible, but – they're, they've always kind of been like Decent. just there off the stage. Yeah. They've never really been there. So then when they start winning, you know, you, you wonder why they build the arena this big. Mm-hmm. Well, it's because when, you when, see the response of the fan base. I think that yeah. answers that question you asked is you see the way that people have responded to, to Rick Barnes, to, to the team he's built. And, you know, you talk about the, the fan base culture. I think the fan base culture right now is a reflection of the culture that Rick Barnes has instilled in the program. Yeah, and that's because, you know, and, and, and I was high on the Barnes hire when it was made, but I. I knew it was a risk, and I said it was a risk, 
But the biggest reason I thought it would be a risk is not because I didn't know how much they would win. I knew they would win because you take some of Barnes' worst years at Texas, and that's still a good year for Tennessee historically. So I wasn't worried about that part, but I knew he could recruit and get some guys in and, and build a program. I just thought that as I watched from the ground up when that Bruce Pearl era was built, it was built around a showman. And it was, you know, it was kind of like you go back to the Ray Mears years, and, and those were the same things too, that you go in there and you know that you're in a kind of a football market. So what do you do? You get a guy who gets butts in the seats, and you do that by getting a guy who is a relentless showman, a guy who has some pizzazz and flair about him and who will – you know, go do any radio interview at any time or go talk to student groups at any time, go stand on a table and say he's going to kick Florida's ass at any time. Just a guy who will do things like that because, you know, Mir's bringing out the unicycle. It just looked like there was a pattern there that Tennessee kind of needed a, you know, a, a greatest showman kind of guy, you know, a circus kind of guy to come in there and, and get people jazzed up for basketball because that was probably the two, their two best coaches in history. And Barnes was not that kind of guy. Um, but what he's done is – He's kind of built this thing just by being an old school basketball program. And he and I think this is what's really huge. He has built a program where these fans know these players. They've watched them grow up. Mm. They've watched them kind of tease at first and then run into a wall. They watched them kind of break through it a little bit and then kind of come back and and now they're watching him go toward the top of college basketball. And they've kind of watched this group of guys grow up. It almost feels like watching your kids or something out there. And I think that for a lot of this fan base has been one of the biggest pulls is that, first off, let's not dismiss the obvious, they're winning. But I think more than that, I think it's this group of players, there's something about them that has really kind of captivated people, especially when at a time in their history when the football program is not giving them a lot to cheer about. You know, I think that's just, they're likable. I mean, they're, they're yeah. likable human beings. I mean, you and I deal with them a few times a week, and I don't think there's a moment where you're kind of dreading having to talk to any individual on that team, no. uh, and that's not, not common. Um, you know, you talk about not having that, that showman personality in Rick Barnes. I think what helps in a way, too, is they have Admiral Schofield. And Admiral Schofield isn't that out in the public, all the things that coaches are able to do, but he is that personality. Yeah, I mean, we've seen it for Media Row now. People walk around with these Admiral T-shirts. It's kind of like an outline of his, his hair and his sideburns, if I'm not mistaken, and yeah. a little anchor on it. Um, and he's kind of that, that big personality, that big presence that people have latched onto, um, which is interesting. I think that that's a player instead of the coach. But that pairing of Rick Barnes, Admiral Schofield, and those personalities has helped this program immensely. It reminds me a little bit of the years when Lofton was there and also Wayne Chisholm was there at mm-hmm. Tennessee because – and Lofton, you got your Grant Williams. You know, you got your star. You got your guy who is grounded. That that guy. Yeah, yeah and he's the one leading you in scoring, and he he's just reliable. You know what you're going to get. And, like and, level presence on and off the court. Yeah, yeah. and then in, in in Chisholm, which is Chisholm was even more outlandish than than Admiral. I mean, Chisholm was the most outlandish, outsized personality I've ever covered. Just period. Dot. End of sentence. Um, but he had that kind of flair a little bit that people gravitated toward and that, that made him such a lovable presence with the people. And, you know, one day you're going to see Lofton's name up in those Raptors and probably not Chisholm's, but no one around here would bat an eye if they just decided to put Chisholm's <laughs> name up there just to do it because he, he was so beloved here. And I think Admiral's starting to become that kind of that guy. You know, he's just kind of – he's kind of – he's that guy. 
You know, it's like when he's out there in the court, you're like, something, something cool is going to happen. Something good is yeah. going to happen. And b- big moments, he follows with big personality. I mean, you, you look back at, at Memphis running around the court holding out the Tennessee on his jersey. Uh, you Which look is back also at, something that Wayne Chisholm did back <laughs> in the day. You Same back court, Gonzaga, I was there. Gonzaga running to the corner, running up into the stands to find his dad. I mean, it seems like these cool plays and moments follow Admiral Schofield. Yeah, and there's a lot of there's a, there are a lot of interesting things about sort of and you talked about going into and dealing with these guys. I think that it's not when you're covering a football team that is not winning. You know, that's such a physical sport. It's such a long season. It takes a toll on everybody. There are times where if a team's not doing well, you walk out there, you walk out out on the you know, you go out to the field for practice and you go for interviews. And it's not that you're not looking forward to it. It's just that you get your head in a certain space where you know, well, I'm going to ask a bunch of questions that have to be asked, but no one's going to want to hear them. These and guys you've are, asked five to ten times already this season, and why guys, can't you run the ball? Yeah, yeah. Why, why are you not good? And, and there's only so many ways you can dress up. Why are you – there's only so much seasoning you can put on it makes that meet. And it's generally the you know, same, same player bad. you're asking that question. Yeah, and, 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 and it becomes kind of a, an abrasive situation by – by default, because you're asking, you're you just you walk into it, and we try to joke around, but there's party. We walk in there, you go, man, I don't want to ask this poor kid this same question again. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't want to ask Pruitt this question for the fifth time. I know he's trying to fix it. I know he knows they're not good. I know that 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 this is not what he's used to from his time at Tuscaloosa. I know that he's going to bristle at this, but I got to ask it, and that's just how it is. And and with basketball, it, it's not just that they're. Winning, although certainly that helps, because I can remember when uh, Rick's first season here, Ramey and I still laugh because we go like on road trips and stuff to cover games, and you know after they win some big game on the road, like we'll be driving back to Knoxville at three o'clock in the morning, full of donuts and coffee. Standard, yeah. And you know, be saying things like, "Hey, remember that time that Rick got white trash mad at Tuscaloosa?" <laughs> and we'll just laugh about. Because after that game, that was like, I mean, he he kind of kept his composure for interviews, but as soon as interviews were done, Rick was just, I've never seen him that angry because they blew like a 12 or 15-point lead in the final, in the second half there in, in T-Town at Coleman, and just they, they kind of looked like a deer in the headlights, and they got run past, and he just was, he just was, he was bristly. That was, I think, uh, Ramey called it hickory mad. I called it white trash mad. Like, it just, he got angry. and uh, it, And so when you're winning, it helps, but... There's just a culture and a personality with this group that takes what would be a fun situation anyway and makes it better because this is not your standard boilerplate top five basketball team where you've got, you know, a bunch of four and five star prospects who are guys who are planning on going one and done or two and done to the NBA. They're worried about their futures. They're worried about, you know, they want to win, but really they don't want to turn their ankle. You know, they don't want to that, that that kind of thing's always in the back of their mind. This is a bunch of guys who kind of grew up together at Tennessee, took their lumps, developed. You know, there, there's not a single top 100 prospect anywhere on the roster. Uh, and, and honestly, two, two of the highest rated recruits on the team are guys who are not anywhere near the most productive players on the team. So it's a really interesting culture and a bunch of guys who are generally and genuinely appreciative of what they've gotten and what they've what they've taken to earn it. And there's just a lack of... There's confidence, but there's not a lot of egos on this team. I mean, Grant has a little bit of an ego, but not in a bad way. Admiral has a little bit of an ego, but not in a bad way. But there's not a lot of, you know, I'm worried about my draft slot going on with this group. And I think that makes it – 
even more an enjoyable situation because, I mean, everyone knows it's a business, but these guys, it feels a little more personal with them. It just feels that way. Maybe I'm wrong. You covered a South Carolina team that probably had some similar qualities, although I don't think it had the same level of media access, if I remember correctly. Not, not quite the same, and, no. And, 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 but Frank was such a fascinating guy and still is in so many ways, Frank Martin, uh, and a guy who Rick Barnes just respects the hell out of. And he says it's like pl- playing his teams like going to the dentist with no Novocaine. Mm-hmm. But you, you saw a team that sort of – I mean, Thornwell was a big prospect, and I remember Conzo Martin tried hard to get him. And, and there were a couple of big-time prospects on that team, but not a lot. They kind of probably built themselves up the same way. It was comparable. Uh, I mean, that specific team had P.J. Dozier, who was a top 25-ish recruit. Yeah. Thornwell was in that range, too. But Thornwell had kind of been beaten down by some knee injuries by that point. I, I think it was knees. Um, kind of didn't have the same pop. But, yeah, I mean, that, that team was fascinating to cover in its own right. This team is, too. And, and I think a lot of what you're saying is why the, the position this team is in is the number three team in the country for the last month. Uh, has gone and beaten a number one team, almost took down Kansas as their only loss. They're going to an SEC season now as as the reigning co-champs with an opportunity to make a lot of noise again and maybe do something even more special. Um, And it's a group of guys who seem focused on doing that. And you don't always see that, as you're saying, that common drive toward it. Um, And, you know, you sit down with these guys, you you can try if you want to get them to talk about themselves, but they don't do it. Uh, it's very much, oh, yeah, I did this well, but I got to get better, um, which is very indicative of the way that Rick Barnes approaches those guys, too. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think what you're saying is what makes this SEC season coming so interesting is that they've got this focus on it. Um, and I think, too, in the back of their heads, there's a, hey, we started poorly in SEC play last year. We can't do it again. Yeah, and it's funny because even if they – even if they don't believe those things that they're saying, they know they have to say them because mm-hmm. they know that, that that some combination of Rick Barnes and you know and the coaching staff and Tom Sakobiak and all those someone's going to find it somewhere if they say something they're not supposed to, and they're going to have to kind of answer for that. And uh, but I, I appreciate the fact that in this era where you don't get anyone you know available for anything anywhere, it seems like you know it's still for Tennessee basketball. You still get to watch practice from time to time. You still get to interview just about anybody that you want to. If you need to pull somebody to the side, you can do that. You know, they 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 respect what we have to do. And that's how journalism and, and media access is supposed to be. The the school understands we have a job to do. We understand they have a job to do. It's, a, it's always going to be a little bit of a give and a take in some sense, but always it has to be built on that respect that we got a job to do, so do you. Both do it. And, and the job for this team, which is what we're going to talk about, uh, for I guess the second half or, or so of this podcast it is this team going into SEC play because when you look at this schedule, when I look at Tennessee's schedule, what are they right at? Is it ten and one, eleven and one, eleven and one, eleven and one? I thought this team could maybe be something like this. I thought something like ten and two would be more reasonable, um, con- considering the teams they had to play and where they had to play them. Uh, but to be eleven and one and and really just one possession away from being, you know. 12 and 0 and number one in the country, presumably. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, for this team to be where it is now, what I like about this is is this team has gotten used to kind of playing with that target. Um, and it's going to be like that, but it's going to be even more now. It's going to be kind of like when they walked into Memphis this season. That's the kind of environment, not jazz to that level like Rupp will be, but – you know, because there's so much bile in that Memphis Tennessee series, and there always has been. And I'm glad you got to finally see one of those games because they really hate each other. It's and sitting in the sitting media row, right in front of a, a center court row of Memphis fans, was uh, 
We'll call it an experience. Yeah, they uh, the, the love loss in those teams was did not uh, did not disappear in that six year stretch. They Clearly, there's a lot of those teams. It's like some of those guys knew each other from AU, but the second like you put the orange and the blue on the same court, they just want to start fighting. It's just kind of how it goes. But my point is, this team maybe not to that level, but in general, that is what this team is going to have to expect now when it plays every game home, when it plays every game away. They are be going to be getting everyone's fastball every night. They're going to be the team that, you know, normally in any given year, you look at what Kentucky, Carolina, Duke, Kansas, UCLA, those kind of teams have to do. Everywhere they go, they're a big draw. Everywhere they go, they're getting a team's best shot. So they might usually lose a couple more games than a team as talented as them need should lose. But when you look at it, they're playing in a different kind of environment than anybody else is. They're getting everyone's best shot every single night. So they're getting beat up during the year. They're getting tested. They're going to have a couple of – they're going to lose two in a row at some point. Something's, something's going to happen. It always does. But by the time tournament play rolls around, they're ready to go. And they're as battle-tested as anybody in the country. And I think you're going to see that with this Tennessee, this Tennessee team this season. I don't know. I could be wrong. There have been people saying, oh, well – you know, I think one of Pearl's teams went 16-2 and two in, in SEC play. Could this team do that? And I say, it, sure it could, but I, I, I don't think it will. It's because, very hard to do that in any league. Because I think that there are they are going to be a big draw. I mean, already half of their remaining home games are sold out at one of the biggest arenas in the country. And they're going to be, I think, playing in some sold-out road venues too because when a top-five team comes to town, that's a big deal. And I think they're playing some rivals on the road too, and those are going to be sold out. So you're going to you're going to see a lot of battles. And I think the top part of the SEC, I don't think the bottom half of the league is as thought is as good as I thought it could be. But I think the the middle of the league is okay and I think the top half of the league is is pretty good, maybe even underrated because I think Kentucky's starting to come into form and I think there's a couple teams like LSU who could be a lot better by the end of the LSU season. LSU and Florida. If they I don't think fit that. Yeah, if they don't beat themselves up too much right now, they could be – if they could kind of take their lumps and, and learn from them, they could be really hard to handle toward the end of the year. And I'm a big fan of Mississippi State, too. Yeah. They're ranked around 15 or so. I really like that team. I think that's a really good coach. I think they've got some really tough players. They've got some talent, a lot of length. They've got some guys who can bother you. And I think that there are – and I think there are some teams toward the bottom of the league that could be okay um, – I think in the middle of the league, certainly um, Vanderbilt was hurt by the Darius injury. There's no question that with Garland out there, that's a different team. And I know they still have Simi and some other guys, but, you know, just kind of not the same as it was going to be with, with Garland because he's such a great player uh, and has been since he was a kid. Lottery pick. Yeah. Almost guaranteed lottery pick, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, you take a, a ball-dominant guard like that who's a lottery guy and you take him off a team, what are you, you going to get? You're going to be hurting. But I look at this this thing, and I, I don't I don't know that I see like a sixteen and two in the league play with this bunch. But I do think, you know, fourteen and four won the league last year. I think there's a chance that could win the league again this year. Was it fourteen and four or thirteen? It was thirteen five. Thirteen five. I think something in that range could win the league again this year. So if they're around there, I think they're doing okay. But here's what's fascinating to me: because of what this team has done in the non-conference schedule, it sort of helped out the rest of the league. And I think maybe an extra team or two will get into the tournament because of what Tennessee did in the preseason in the non-conference schedule. I think it could help the computers that much. I mean, it went over Gonzaga like that, that overtime loss against Kansas, um, winning at Memphis. There's a couple of decent games in there that I think they're really going to help this league. But I think 
people, and I think it was disappointing because the other day I went uh, onto one of the local TV stations, our partners, WBIR, and they kept asking me about SEC play, what I thought Tennessee's record might be, and I kept answering with, well, I'll give you an answer to that, but that's not what matters. What matters is where is this team health-wise and where is this team you know, headspace-wise going into the NCAA tournament? Because they've done a lot of their work now. Now they just need to not screw the pooch in the next couple months, and they'll be fine. They'll get in the tournament. They'll be a good seed. To me, now the conference play matters because, hey, if you want to be a champion, go be a champion. That's cool. You know, maybe this team could even win the SEC tournament, which no Tennessee team has done in, since, like, the first year they had the thing or whatever. 79, if I'm not yeah. mistaken. It's yeah. been, been a long, long time, and you could write an entire sad story about Tennessee in the SEC, SEC tournament. But when you look at overall what matters – what matters is where is this team going into March? Where is this team going into the NCAA tournament? And that is what is really important with this team, I think. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I think it's nice if you win a conference championship. Hey, that's cool. But this team is built to go do something beyond that, and I think they have to make sure that they are in the best shape possible to go do that. And I think that's one of the things that you'd point out as concerning about this team. If you're looking at things that, that could dent them, backcourt depth, I, I think tops that list without Lamonte Turner. Um, you throw heavy minutes into that same conversation that, that Jordan Bone and Grant Williams and Admiral Schofield are playing. And they're playing 31 minutes a game through non-conference. I mean, they're still headed into the, the three months of conference season. Um, so staying healthy at the end is key. But what, what intrigues me about this conference slate is, out of currently ranked teams, Tennessee doesn't face one until February 16th. Yep. And that's at Kentucky. Uh, and then four of their final seven games are their ranked teams. They have Mississippi State at that stretch. They close at Auburn, which could be a game for a conference title. Yep. Um, they've got Kentucky again. They also go to LSU in that stretch and Ole Miss, which LSU seems to be a decent team underachieving maybe from what they were expected to do before the season. That's a sneaky, tough place to play when LSU is good. Yeah, and so I mean, in, your, in your final seven games, you've got four against ranked teams and a couple other road games. I mean, Tennessee's final stretch there, I mean, you're talking about going into the postseason healthy and in a good mind space. I think the final seven games are the hardest part of this stretch by far. Yes. And that, that's going to hit them hard. The maybe upside of having those games late for Tennessee is, is Lamonte Turner again? Is Lamonte back by that point? Have you been able to get him into a comfortable rotation spot? Um, because, I don't know, the reality, I think you'd like to see a more balanced schedule of when you face those teams. Um, maybe not give Kentucky that, that extra six weeks to round into form as they like to do. Um, but get, getting Lamonte Cal back understand, is big. Cal understands when he needs to get his you got to get your team best. peaking at that point. And, and I think one of my concerns with this Tennessee team is how do they handle that final I think it's two and a half weeks, three weeks stretch um, of the really hard part of the schedule, and then you jump into the postseason. Yeah, here's where, and I think this is an interesting philosophical debate, because on one hand, I do completely understand why there is concern, because I have it too, about how many minutes some of these guys are playing. But then I look at it from the other side, and I think these are all third or fourth year players for the most part that are having these minutes. And if these guys were just a year older, they'd be playing professionally somewhere and they'd be playing probably more minutes over a longer season. And these guys have sort of been prepared over three or four years to do that. And you look at those old school basketball teams, and again, the game was not played at this current pace that it's played at now back in those days at all. But you still, that was kind of the average what guys would play in a lot. You didn't have a lot of these deep benches playing 10, 11, 12 guys. You know, you had seven-man, eight-man rotations, and that's what teams did. Some teams played six, and that's just what they did. So I, I, I don't know 
Like, I think that sometimes we create the narrative because we need something to write about. And, and I, 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 I go back and forth on this because I, I, and I'm not saying I'm not trying to play both sides of the fence. I just generally, or genuinely, I should say, am interested because I don't know that it's quite that big of a deal because I think Garrett Maidenwald is one of the best in the business. And I think Chad Newman, I know Chad Newman is one of the best in the business. These guys take care of their guys. And if, if a guy can't play, if a guy needs to be backed off of, both of those guys will go to Rick Barnes unafraid, and they will say, hey, he needs to be backed off a little bit. What I look and at, Matt, that. though, too, is last year Grant led them in minutes at 28-8. Yep. And nonetheless, I think you look back at his final month of the season, and he'll tell you, and Rick Barnes will tell you, Grant faded uh, yeah. for the final month I of last season. I still think it was that fall he took against LSU. It, it was. I mean, he was hurt last year down the stretch. I don't think anyone would would even second-guess that. I mean, It's he, funny. They, w- they wouldn't admit it until after the season. No, you see him come out of, out of the locker room at halftime with a heated pad wrapped around his back. I mean, they didn't do a great job of even trying to hide that. Um, but you did see Admiral kind of elevate his game during that final stretch at the same time, and and I go back to what Admiral said before the season, that maybe the thing he learned most through the NBA draft process was seeing how players took care of their bodies. Um, that he learned that, you know, okay, working hard is good, but whittling that down, whittling that work into an appropriate amount of time, I think Rick loves that quote of don't mistake activity for achievement. And I think Admiral took that to heart. He loves all those John Wooden. Uh, lo- loves little old adages. Um, but I think those guys understand that more. And so when you look at the, the big minutes, I think my concern with it is that those heavy minutes came early in the year. I think it's okay if you see those guys start playing those minutes now, but you've played that a lot through, I mean, Tennessee Tech. A lot of those guys were in the game with eight minutes left still, and it's a 40-point game. That that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. No, it doesn't. That part that part is really, really something that you can point at and say. I mean, the other day I think I there's like six or seven minutes left in the game, and I tweeted, Rick, just get the guy. What, do you, what are these guys doing mm-hmm. on the floor? Like I watched Grant go – because these guys – if they're out there, they're going to go hard. Mm-hmm. That's how they're trained to be. You know, they're going to be diving on the floor for loose balls. They're going to be throwing and receiving elbows. They're going to be getting after it hard. And when you do that, you know, hey, it just takes one loose ball. Someone rolls on your ankle. It takes one loose ball. You know, you die for it at the same time somebody else doesn't. And just, that derails this team's it, season with the just, amount of depth they have. Dislocate your shoulder. And that, that, that leads me to the really, really interesting point which is – well, let me back up. I'll get to that in a second. I think the guys who, let's say, assume for a while that Turner's not going to come back for a little bit. Let's just assume that. I think that's the safe thing to do right now. You go look at it and you say, okay, who can play more? And it's pretty obvious the two guys who could play more probably are Jalen Johnson and Derek Walker. They're the two guys who, when you look at this roster, you say, okay – what else are they going to do there? Because they not only can they play more, you need them to play yeah, more. And you probably, to be honest, if he were healthy, you could give Woodson a couple minutes here and there because he's done it before. He's done it back to his sophomore season, uh, but his back's been bothering him lately a little bit. So he's kind of not really out of commission, but he's he's dinged up for a little bit. So they've been throwing Lucas Campbell out there, trying that for a couple possessions here or there. But let's be honest, the the main guys are going to be. There's two things for me. It, it's one, it's Jalen Johnson, and can he play? anywhere near remotely decently on the defensive end. And I think in the man-to-man defense, because they've thrown him and hit him at the top of the zone when they've gone zone, yeah. but he's got to be better in man-to-man defense. Yeah, because as soon like he can, he can sometimes guard the ball, but as soon as the ball starts getting skipped around, he his head starts spinning. He gets lost. And I think you see that with Derek Walker on the offensive end too. Like when they were supposed to trap the first pass a couple times, they, when they went to that zone, 
because they hide Jalen in that sometimes. But then they they very clearly, and you could see Kyle Alexander just going crazy on him because in the timeout they were you could very clearly say that they were saying, "Listen, trap the first pass, trap the first pass," and then the first pass comes in and then Jalen Johnson just doesn't go trap. And it I, I, that's the closest I think I've ever seen to Kyle Alexander being angry. Was when he looked Canadians at don't get angry. It's yeah. science. Yeah, when he, he he got like he got what what's called Canadian furious, which is American annoyed. See, hockey players only fight in Canada just because they're a little bit out of sorts sometimes. It, it's yeah. not an anger thing. Yeah, yeah. It's pro- sadly, probably a CTE thing. Maybe I haven't had Tim Hortons in long enough. Yeah, you know? that's true. Timbits are pretty good. That's true. I, I I can't. I don't like cold weather, but I can't. I can't deny that. The uh, but when you look at that, that's Jalen Johnson. Can he do anything on the defensive end? Can he play well enough? And do they have to reach a point where they say, okay, we know he's going to screw up some on defense, but he's just got to play the minutes? Um, that just have to deal with it. And that's where it's hard for Rick because he believes so firmly in the kind of the stick and the carrot. Like he will show stick when you deserve it, in his opinion. And so he feels like he's still at a point with Jalen where he's got to bench him until he understands things. Okay, I get that, but you need to play him out there a little bit. And the other one with Derek Walker is, can you just avoid those little mental lapses that he has? Because when Derek Walker's locked in, I think he's an effective SEC big man. I, I think he's a I guy think he has who, the potential to be. Yeah. I think he is physically good enough to do it. I think he has more touch than people think. Uh, you I see, think they don't even need him to have that, right? What they need from him is hustle, defense, and rebounding. I mean, they, they don't need scoring. They need him help. to get after the ball and run around the court hard. And and have some awareness. And that's the issue is you see him get lost a little bit from time to time. And they can say, listen, man, you got – at most you're going to play 10 minutes. So if you foul a little bit, whatever, just make them count. Make them worth it. Go out there and play hard. And he and Fulkerson like playing together, which, you know, is a good thing because, you know, have you, if you've ever seen the two of them – like they look like the most interesting combination of good friends, but they really like get play- them a podcast. They really like playing together. They just do. I think all the guys like playing with Fulky, which is you know just kind of funny because p- people look at it on the on TV and they go, "What what's Fulkerson doing out there?" The guys love him. He plays. He gets after as it, hard man. as he, he can, gets after it, and he makes good things happen. He's a good passer. He just looks really. You have to look. It's like when they say with Rick Barnes, listen to what he's saying, not how he's saying it. And with Fulky, it's like look at the box score. Don't look at how it happened. Yeah, don't don't look how it happened. Just look at like the effect it has on everybody. Because he can annoy the other team more than he annoys Tennessee's own fans at points with the way he plays. And he just you know he's going to look awkward, but he's still sometimes going to get the ball to go in the bucket. He's still going to make the right pass. He's just going to flail around and look Fulky like while doing it. Um, but there's a reason why they believe in him, and they have. And Rick Barnes just stood on the table for him from day one. He loves the guy. So, but th- those are the two guys, Walker and Johnson. I think you were the one who asked the question in the press conference on what was it Wednesday about that. Yes. And I think those are really good question. That's why we're talking about it is because those are the two guys who probably can play more. And I think Rick is going to have to just bite the bullet you know, bite down and let them play a little bit and let them play through some of this. Now, he won't do that probably, but I think there's a time to do it. You know, and and the time to do that is you look back at the Tennessee Tech example we brought up. Eight minutes left in the game, throw them in, learn. Learning experience on the fly, coach them after that when you look back at the film. I think you see those opportunities. And, um, you know, not to say there are some easy games because SEC is tough. Everyone knows everyone. You know, it's all, all the old conference cliches. Um, but if there's an opportunity and you're up in a game late, 
get those guys in there and, and let them kind of figure it out and get their heads on straight because you're going to need them later in the year. Well, see, Rick's, Rick's got that good coach paranoia about him where he had like – they were up by like 30 points or 25 points in the first half, and he put out a lineup that had no none of the main rotation guys in it. And he played him for a few minutes or a couple minutes anyway. But then as soon as Tech scored a couple buckets in a row, he was like, screw this. He put the regular guys mm-hmm. back in there. And it's like, no, 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 let them – you're not going to lose this lead. The Tennessee Tech is not good. The, their best player is their two best players might be a you know a graduate transfer, seven foot power forward who came from South Florida, or and a, a true freshman point guard who I think Tennessee Tech was lucky to get to get from Chattanooga, who's a good player. So, but th- those guys aren't going to beat you. So let them let the guys make some mistakes. But but what will make a lot of this go away is if. Number one comes back. I think everything goes away at that point. And Tennessee and Rick. I think maybe the thing Rick has harped on the most in the last month and a half has been the team's defense, and and it, it's so many facets of that. Is he feels like they're not pressuring the ball as well as they were last year. He also knows that's partly because the guards are being asked to play a lot of minutes. That goes back to Lamonte Turner. That, that kind of whole defensive situation falls into place a little bit. And, and now Lamonte is not that guy that is often talked about as a defensive key. Uh, but he's he, smart on that end. But and he and he's tough. He's a tough kid. Um, and, and I think that's the presence that they're missing. Is that's why Bones playing thirty one and a half a game. That's why Bowden's playing almost twenty nine a game. Is they don't have that third guard body. And, you know, and they're having to play zone. Yeah, and that's why they're having to play zone. And foul troubles have them having to play zone too. But I, I think you know because Grant still commits dumb fouls when he doesn't have to. It's the only dumb thing in his game is that sometimes he commits those fouls that are just. Man, what kind of an IQ do you have, kid? You're brilliant. What are you doing? He needs to play more Catan to figure out that. Um, That's true. The strategy of fouling. But, yeah, I think, too, maybe one of the big concerns here, too, is Tennessee really only has two guards in this roster they're playing right now. True guards um, in yep. Bowden and Bone. You're one injury away with Lamonte Turner out from being in a I, real I, tough situation. I think Jalen Johnson's a, a natural guard, too. He's a guard who got tall. Yeah, him, him and Admiral are kind of that that wing i think eve falls in that category too they can guard guards but i think at the end of the day they're they're more of a, a three um depending on how you want to classify that see, I, think, in this day I, think, of basketball. I think of jalen as a two who just got tall see i i think Does he, he the handle as a two though i think he can handle the ball i think the one thing he he doesn't do well enough i think he handles the ball well enough i think he just doesn't defend that's that's which is how to not play basketball for rick barnes that will get you on the list quickly but before we get out of here this thing with lamonte is it's interesting, and I think it's good that you know you're in here today because it adds a different voice to it to talk about this a little bit more. Because I gotta be honest with you, if you had asked me before the season, and if you ask me still right now, who's the toughest guy on this basketball team? I'll say the same thing I've said for three years. Lamonte Turner is the toughest guy on this basketball team. He's a guy who, if I'm in a scrape, be like, give me that guy. Mm-hmm. He, he's not I'd pick Admiral or Derek, he, maybe, but. Uh, Derek's a tough guy too, but I think I've seen Lamonte. I've seen the look in his eye. I've seen. I mean, I saw that guy once try to, like, when they played in the Rocky Top League. You know, LMU is a really good Division II basketball program just up the road. They've been in the Final Four a couple times, so they've got some pretty good basketball players. They're just a couple inches shorter than what you would normally see at like an SEC program. But a few of those guys played together on a Rocky Top League game, and a couple of them were talking some trash to Lamonte Turner a couple of years ago, and I saw Lamonte Turner score about 8 billion points on all of them immediately after that, and then look at them like, I'm going to fight you on this court right now. Like, I'm going to fight you. 
And this is a summer league game where most people are laughing and joking around. Lamonte Turner is a nasty pit bull of a player. I think he is just pound for pound the toughest dude on that team. And that's why this whole thing is a little bit odd to me because I know that Lamonte Turner is tough. I know that. That's a given. I also know that Lamonte Turner is not one of these guys who's worried about if I get banged up now, will I not play in the NBA? I think he knows in his heart of hearts that he might be a guy who plays in Europe or something like that. You know, I I think he knows that because of his size. So he's not saving himself for that. That's why this whole thing is so unusual to me. And I can't help but think, like, I knew when he came back a little bit, his shot was kind of erratic. It was looking flat and then had the high arch on it. And then, you know, it was just, it was, it was confusing to look at. But this whole thing is baffling to me because I would think I've seen him play through this for the past two years. That shoulder has been killing him. He's had two surgeries on it. I know that last year, and not last year, but the year before that, he delayed the surgery and finished the season on it when I know it was killing him. And it was hurting his shooting percentage because he wasn't, he wasn't able to shoot as well as he normally is. And people are like, man, why does Turner suck? I'm like, well, he's hurt right now, and he's playing through that. So I know he's played through this same thing before. That's what's unusual about this whole thing is there's got to be something in between his ears that's bothering him about this shoulder. Maybe no matter how tough you are, once you've had a second surgery on something, you start to question it a little bit, you know. And, and if you're not going to get after it on defense, you're not going to be able to play for Rick. So if Lamonte's backing out of challenges he wouldn't normally back out of, if he's not doing the thing he normally does, which is somehow wiggle through and get to the rim and make a play despite being so small, maybe he's not able to do those things too. And that's why – because we watch even in practice – and I've seen him go through drills where he throws every pass left-handed. And if, he, if his shoulder's not really bothering him, he's not doing that. I mean, he's throwing a lot of entry passes like left-handed that normally you're a right-handed player, you're going to throw them right-handed. And I've seen, him do it for, I've seen him do it for an entire drill. So something is clearly amiss here. And I just wonder, because he keeps telling Rick Barnes, hey, I feel close, I feel close, but it's been a while. It's been a little bit of time here, and he's got one of the better training. A long time now. And, 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 and Chad Newman is one of the very best trainers in the business. I mean, that guy could, that guy first off cares about the players long term more than he does about here and now. But if he needs to get a guy ready for now, he can do that. And I, I just, I, this whole thing befuddles me. And I think it's unfortunate. I think Rick is being honest, but I think he maybe should be careful about saying so many times that, it, that it's up to Lamonte. Because at some point, you're going to turn the fan base away from one of its favorite players because you're going to make him look selfish even though you don't mean to because that's what people are going to think because that's what people do. And it's a fine line. I mean, that, that's, you know, we, we've had kind of the same refrain from, from Rick Barnes on Lamonte for a while, which is, yeah, it's up to him when he comes back. You know, the doctors have cleared him. And I think all we can, can conclude at this point is that it's all between the ears. And, and, you know, so it seems like what started as the physical ailment now has turned into a mental one where it's just figuring out Comfort level, taking contact, not being afraid of that that first hit um, back, that first big contact. Um, but we we haven't really talked to Lamonte since New York. Um, that was the last time we really really spoke to him. So we, we don't really get a chance to get in there and know what's going on. But you know we, we know his mentality. Uh, we've seen it. You know, his quote last year after the Kentucky game was one of my favorites of the year. Um, 
which was just, I'm not afraid to take that shot because I can walk in that locker room and look my teammates in the eye if I miss it and be okay. Yeah. I mean, that, that's the mentality we know he has. So at this point, you're wondering, okay, well, where's that mentality in this injury? Like, wh- why is that mentality not coming through here? So it just seems like it's something he hasn't really been able to work past. And until he does, Tennessee is, is going to have a couple concerns on its roster. Yeah, I mean, and anyone who's ever had a you know a shoulder injury to that degree, I can speak personally. I dislocated my right throwing shoulder in baseball, and for basically the better part of the rest of that season, I went from playing third base and catcher to playing first base because throwing the ball was a mystery. Because it just it I could make a couple throws a day, and that was pretty much it. Because it just it it hurt, <laughs> and it would slide around, and it still occasionally pops out to this day. Because if I had played in college, I would have gotten it surgically corrected, but I didn't. So it. But I know that it it will it messes with your mind. Like you would take plays that normally you try to start like a three six three double play, and you'll just kind of step on first base and get that one out because you you know if it's not like trying to get a runner at home, you're not going to throw the ball because you know that shoulder might pop out of place and it's going to hurt. And even when you throw the ball, it it impacts you because you you're worried about it. And you think about this: if he had something similar happen and he's trying to shoot a ball right handed, you know it's going to mess with him. And, and and not just shooting the ball, imagine extending it for a layup in contact. Like you're you're trying to play through contact and get to the rim when you get hit, because that's when you're exposing it when you've got it extended. Imagine, you know, you know a guy like him whose instinct is to go dive on every loose ball possible, and you think of that's probably the time you put it at the most risk is when you dive into a crowd for a loose ball, because that's when you get it extended and it can get popped out again. So there's got to be so so many things, you know. Uh, I remember um, uh, Skyler McBee when he was at Tennessee. He he completely messed up his senior season by trying to fight through a screen against Georgetown, and he dislocated his or tore his UCL basically or something because he was trying to like extend through a screen, and he got his arm caught in there and it yanked and it it tore something in his elbow, and so he went from shooting early that season well beyond forty percent from three to being a three point shooter who couldn't shoot threes, and that really killed the rest of his season and therefore his Tennessee career because he was a senior so I know that these things like the guys know these risks but I think with as much as on the line with this team I think eventually Lamonte Turner is going to get there I just don't know when it's going to be and I know that I know Rick Barnes and he's going to make Lamonte come back and practice before he puts him in a game he's going to he's going to make him I don't care who you are. Well, we had seen him back in practice. I mean, he, he has practiced at points. I don't think but, but we haven't now, seen him practice a couple of weeks now. But Now, that's, that's, that's weird because it's going in the other direction. Mm-hmm. Well, that, that's kind of the story of, of this Lamonte saga this season is he played an exhibition 15 minutes, out three games. Plays three games, out seven now, I believe it is. Yeah, six or seven. Six. Um, and, and that's kind of been the tale of it is he, he was practicing in, in uh, the kind of the last few weeks, but he hasn't played and I think my concern looking at it now is how do you integrate his minutes back into this? You need to find him a spot in the rotation. Um, I thought the ideal world was get him five to ten minutes in the final non-conference games. Um, he wasn't able to go. And now you're in a conference play when you're chasing a title for whatever whatever it's worth at this point. You're chasing a title. And he's already redshirted. He had to redshirt his mm-hmm. first year for, for academic reasons. So you know that that he's not he doesn't you have could apply for medical redshirt in theory if it lingers into late mid to late february the problem is that with the ncaa normally when you when you have to take one because of non 
performance reasons, like if you have to take one for non mm. non health reasons, they're not usually going to give you another year. So, you know, th- at that point, it, it's sort of I, I don't maybe they know something I don't know, but it just seems to me like it's going to be hard to 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 do that because I think Lawante reclassified and then tried to get in or whatever, and and he could get in, but he couldn't play, and it, there was a whole kind of lost year there where he had to redshirt and just pl- just practice, but. You know, I, I do know this. I know how close that Rick Barnes and Lamonte Turner are, and I know that we covered just enough games from behind the bench, like some NCAA tournament-style games. There's some places in the league where you still get access like that right behind a bench. And you can still – you can see during a game there are things that Lamonte Turner will say to Rick Barnes that no one else will. Maybe Bone will now, maybe, but – if it was a thing with the last couple of years where if Rick wanted to know what was happening on the court, he asked Lamonte because Lamonte would tell him straight up, coach, this is what they're doing, you know. And I, I remember during that game against Ohio last year, no Ohio, I keep getting it mixed up, Wright State. We were sitting there behind the bench. And there was a guy from Wright State who just could not defend a pick and roll, just couldn't do it. And Lamonte kept telling Rick during a game like four, it was like 14, it's like 14, he can't do it. Pick, pick and roll 14 all day, all day, coach. He can't handle it. And without thinking, Rick said, okay, do that. And so they started doing that and they started killing that kid because he went to Lamonte or Lamonte went to him and said, we need to do this. They have a trust level. He knows how hard Lamonte works. He knows what kind of effort that kid puts into things. And he knows how smart the kid is with basketball. So he's going to listen to him. He's a guy who I know Bone's getting there now. But I still think Lamonte still thinks quicker on the fly. And I think there's just so many reasons why they need him on the court. I mean, he was the guy who was their finisher last year. And so. the reality is, no matter no matter what we look at with the health, any situation, is this Tennessee team is not going to reach its peak without Lamonte Turner. Probably not. No team is going to go out there and, and reach its peak without its, and, unless, its sixth man. Unless, unless Bone goes from being a top-five college point guard to, like, the top college point guard in the country, which he uh, – let me tell you, they're not where they are right now. They're not even close to where they are right now if Jordan Bone hadn't improved as much as he has. He is – Oh, without question. There are some people who probably were scratching their head as to why he was on the Bob Cousy list going into the season, but there should be no question now. He's one of the best point guards in college basketball. He's playing out of his mind, and, and you know, you look at the reasons Tennessee is – And that's keeping them afloat right now. Yeah, exactly. You look at the reason Tennessee is the number three team in the country, favorite probably going to the SEC right now, is Jordan Bone. I mean, we knew what Grant Williams was. We knew what Admiral Schofield is, and they're both playing up from where they were last year. But and Kyle playing better as hell. And Kyle's now become that X factor. But, you know, this time last year, Jordan Bone has had a great game at Wake Forest uh, before they headed into league play. He had a really good game at Arkansas, if I remember correctly, uh, to open league play. Crushed Arkansas, yeah. Yeah, I remember a really good Jordan Bone performance that game, uh, like 21 points, if I'm rem- remembering right. And we're talking about him as that X factor. You know, if he puts this together, he takes his team to a new level. We've seen him do that steadily now. And, you know, Rick talked consistency with Bone yesterday. He always will because it's his point guard. He wants him to be better always. And nothing his point guard ever does will be good enough. Never. Um, But Jordan Bone, to me, isn't the X factor on this team anymore. It's Kyle Alexander. I I think Kyle Alexander is that guy that you want to see that consistency from. And he's that guy who now dictates a lot about this season because I think Bone's a known commodity. Yeah, I think that's probably fair. I mean, I, I think he's gotten to a point now where he is probably is probably as consistent as 
almost as, as consistent as anyone on this team. I mean, Grant's probably at a different level of consistency just because he's Grant. Because you Grant's take a different level granted. of efficiency more than anything. Yeah, and Admiral's becoming more efficient too, but still not to the level consistently that, that Grant is. But the way that he's playing now, man, he's Bones – Bones taking this team to a different level. And one one thing I tweeted it earlier this still season. Still, they need Lamonte. Agreed, and I would encourage anyone next time you watch a Tennessee game, just watch Jordan Bone. I mean, he is just really interesting to watch with the ball these days. Um, and yeah, he's definitely the reason that this Tennessee team is is taking it to a different level right now and is the number three team in the country. Well, Mike, before we get on out of here, is first off, is there anything else that that we uh, did not discuss that you would have found interesting to discuss? And then, secondly, where can people get their information on you, your your coverage of Tennessee? Yeah, there was a guy at the last Tennessee game who was wearing a Rick Barnes T-shirt. I think we really skipped over that. This, the light, full the full T-shirt, print, screen yeah. printed front and back pictures of uh, Rick Barnes. That was pretty fascinating to me. I wanted to give that guy a shout out in case he happens to hear this because I was very intrigued by that T-shirt. Um, yeah, and as, as a guy who, I mean, I've personally got some really good T-shirts. I'm wearing my old Dirty Bastard Wu-Tang Clan shirt right now. But um, I don't know, if, and I've got some great Bob Ross shirts. For the record, that's why I was staring at your chest throughout this podcast. No other reason. Because ODB? Yeah, that's the only reason. Dirt McGurk? Mm-hmm. But yeah, the, uh, there is, uh, that, that, that T-shirt is better than any T-shirt I own. That, that T-shirt is just... It's a I, strong one. We really needed that guy to have a picture with Rick. You know, I don't know if the D can be okay with that, but... Maybe maybe that, that day comes. Oh, I think he kind of laugh at it a little bit. We'd have to find out. But, uh, yeah, Twitter is uh, by Mike Wilson, B-Y Mike Wilson, a generic man name, um, and Go Vols Extra and Knox That is a News. witness protection program name. It is. I'm not in it. I mean, I probably couldn't tell you if I was, but I'm not. John Doe's like, hey, bro, your name is anonymous. Yeah, it's like Mike Wilson. Like, every time we get on a teleconference, they ask you to spell out your name. I never do, because let's be real. If you can't spell Mike Wilson, then you probably shouldn't be employed in that role. That's probably true. What do you do, like NYC? Like, you, know? you know, my mom thankfully didn't throw a Y in my name in a weird place like p- parents these days seem to be so fond of. Late 80s baby, I escaped that trend. Well, and you, but, you know, sometimes in different cultures too, different, like... This is true. You'll see names spelled differently or pronounced differently. At well, least. shout out New Zealand for being normal, I guess. Yeah, it's a pretty normal place. Mm-hmm. More sheep than people, but... Three to one. It's a great country, and I really wish you had that accent, and it's unfortunate that you have a Michigan accent instead of Yeah, the, there'd be a lot to handle, though, I feel instead like. Instead of the proper New Zealand accent. My parents still have it. That's plenty. Get to interesting questions at uh, the Canadian border, for example. So you're by Mike Wilson on Twitter, and you are... It's Govals Extra is still... GovalsExtra.com and KnoxNews.com. Knox News. We also have a newspaper, the Knoxville News Sentinel. You can find my stuff there as well. Hey, I'm a newspaper guy for life, man. I love the newspaper, man. I'm a newspaper guy for life. I've always been a big paper guy. But anyway, Mike, thank you. Thank you for being here today. We'll probably have you on a little bit more throughout the uh, year, too. Raymond and I were talking about that, how sometimes it's good to have a third voice in the basketball podcast anyway and that no one else covers them. You know, I mean, the three of us covered it, you know, and Rob probably covered as much Mm -hmm. as anyone out there does. So Less of Grant Ramey is always more. You mean Grant when he talks on the mic? Grant Ramey. Thanks for tuning in, guys. Uh, I'm Wes Rucker. You can find me on Twitter at Wes Rucker 24-7. You can find us 
at GoVols247.com. We're also on social media at uh, Twitter.com slash GoVols247, Facebook.com slash GoVols247. You can find the rest of our crew also on social media there on Twitter. Ryan Callahan is Ryan Callahan 24-7. Grant Ramey is just Grant Ramey. And Patrick Brown is P. Brown 24-7. And when we come back next time, I promise you that we will we will have Grant's Gun Show Question of the Week. It will return. Do you know, Mike, do you know Grant's Gun Show Question of the Week? I don't. Every week on the podcast, you can tell how much you listen, we have Grant's Gun Show Question of the Week, which is that uh, if we pick the winner, that person has the right for the next week. If they see Grant on campus, if they see Grant rolling through the streets of Maryville, they have to. They can ask him for two tickets to the gun show, and he has to flex. That is awful, and I do not like it. <laughs> I think I really like it. I mean, I'm basically decked out like Grant Ramey right now. I got a Patagonia on, jeans, just not a Braves hat. If I had the Braves hat instead of this South Carolina hat, I'd be in. But you are a Braves fan. Big Braves fan. Despite growing up in Michigan, which hard to explain. But I'm an enigma wrapped in riddle. That's true. I got, I got family reasons for the Cubs, or else I'd probably be a Braves fan too, or a Reds fan like my pops. Thanks for tuning in, guys. We will be back next week. We'll definitely have another basketball podcast. We'll probably have a football one too. Maybe we'll actually have some news to discuss there. We'll talk to Grant and Ryan about the All-Star Games. We'll catch you up on the OC search if there's ever an OC named. But, uh, you know, there might not be. Mike, do you have any final thoughts? No, I feel good about this. 